I believe in uh, divine appointments. And what I mean by that is I believe that the spiritualness things, that spiritual things that happen in the world where the Lord moves me with the Holy Spirit and I don't see what's going on and the Lord will move you into doing things and you won't know. You, you, you call it kind of coincidences, but there's not coincidences. And years ago, I, I really realized this as a pastor because I came in here and I, at that time there were probably like five people in the church, maybe eight. We were just getting started, and I remember the Lord, get, and everybody in here was over 70. So the Lord gives me this message about the prodigal son, and the message was for these young men. I mean, like the message was like for teenagers. And I'm looking out here, and I'm thinking, I've got, I've got like three 70-year-old men here. This, me, what is it? this message is not for them. But that's not, the Lord called, I felt like the Lord had given me that message. I'd studied on it. I got it ready. I got ready to preach it, preach it. And right through those back doors, right through those back doors walked four young men that had never stepped in this church before. Walked in, sat on that back pew back there. You know what I said in my heart? All right, Lord, I'm going to let it rip. <laughs> this is for them. Now, is that a coincidence? I don't know. You find four young men that just didn't, go out and get, just didn't come in here. They, had, they were way out there at a ranch, and they decided they wanted to go to church, so they walked down to this church. That's called a divine appointment. Amen. Now, uh, a lot of y'all come in here this morning. I didn't know y'all were coming. I know there's a chance Sister Colleen might come in. God bless her and her husband. God bless y'all and Brother Pete. I mean, I see them all the time, and God bless them and her, some of her, her kids. I, I, God bless y'all. But I had no idea. Nobody texted me. I'm not on Facebook. Don't look up for me on Facebook. So I don't know what y'all's lives are or what you're doing in your life. So the Lord brought you here for this moment. Amen. And the Lord gave me this message in my heart to preach to you for this moment. And I, I've, done, I've done said that we're going to have an invitation. I've done warned you and told you, hey, this is your chance to either accept or reject Jesus Christ. But I'm not out here to offend you. And I, I know I said some stuff during the, during the little morning thing that might have offended you. I'm not out here to offend you. What I'm trying to do is to show you that the Bible's a unique book. But I'm here to tell you that this book is true. Amen. And if this book is just 75% true, if this book is just 75% true, you should be shaking in your pew right now if you don't know Jesus Christ. And the Lord laid this message on my heart. Salvation is for the good, the bad, and the ugly, and fools. I'm going to add that one on there. Salvation is for the good, the bad, the ugly, and for fools. And if we, as we go through these scriptures in Psalms uh, chapter 107, what we're going to find out is that there's four different people here that get saved. There's four different people here, and we're going to see how they got saved. They all get saved the same way. There's four different types of people here. There's four different people here that get saved. They're all four different people from four different walks of life. And they all get saved. There's the good. There's some bad. There's some ugly. And there's some fools. But they all get saved. And this Psalms here is going to show you that. And it's going to show you their life. And I want you this morning as you're sitting here as a visitor. Or you're sitting here. Maybe you've come to this church a lot. I want you to think. Which of these four am I? If I had to pick of these four, the good, the bad, the ugly, or the fool, which of those four am I? And I know if I was making, don't do it, but if I was making you raise your hand, there'd be nobody raise their hand and said, I'm the ugly. 
But ugly in a sense of sin, not as a sense of physical appearance. The good, yeah, good people, good people. The bad, the ugly, and the foolish. Psalms 107, verse 1, our Lord wrote here, through the psalmist, he says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy, His mercy endureth forever. And that's my testimony. The Lord is good. Let the redeemed, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Can you this morning say that you're redeemed? I can stand before you and I already gave you the testimony that I'm, I'm saved. I'm redeemed. Redeemed means that you're, you're, in, you're in hock you're like in a pawn shop and somebody comes in and they purchase you and they buy you and now somebody else owns you. So there was a time when I was living in the world and I was living for the devil and I was living for myself and Jesus Christ came along and through His precious blood He purchased me, He bought me and now I no longer belong to myself. I belong to the Lord God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, and that's called being redeemed. Being redeemed. Verse 3 says, And gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. The truth about salvation is salvation is for any race, any nationality. It doesn't matter if you're white, you're brown, you're black, you're uh, Asian, yellow, whatever skin you are, whatever nationality you are, whatever part of the world you come from, Jesus Christ died for the whole world and the sins of the whole world. He's a very unique individual. Uh, some of y'all know that my sister is battling cancer. She got diagnosed stage four. And I was, she lives up in Texarkana. And I went up to Texarkana to visit her. And we, me and my wife surprised her. And she, she didn't know we were coming that five, hour, five and a half hour trip. And I walked in the room. And they were having a party for her. A little hat. She's lost all her hair. And they, we, they've given her hats. It's called a hat party. And I walked in the room. And she saw me. And she looked at me. And then she looked at me. And then she realized who it was, and she jumped up, she ran over there, and she just hugged and squeezed and squeezed on me and started crying. And it was such a great reunion. I don't ever get to see my sister. And I remember we were in that room, and these five black ladies came in, and they had this shirt on that said, Soul Sisters. And when I say Soul Sisters, because that's how they spelled it, S-I-T-H-A-S, Sisters. And these black ladies came in, how you doing? Soul Sisters. And they brought in their hats, they brought in these sacks, they brought on these presents. And they said, sister, we just want to love on you. And there's my, there's my white uh, sister, white as a ghost. Here's these black ladies, black, and they're just loving on her and hugging on her and telling her how much they love her. And God just showed up in that room right there, man. And it didn't matter if you were black or white or Spanish. We had Spanish people there. It didn't matter what nationality you were. Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit came into that room and it was something special. There were some tears being shed. I, I'm kind of hard-hearted and I started crying. It touched me. See, those, I, I told those ladies when they were walking out the room, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Some sisters in Christ showed up to love on another sister in Christ. It doesn't matter... If you're from the east or from the west or from the north or from the south, Jesus Christ died for your sins and he loves you. And he loves you. Let me go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just prayed, Father, you just through your Holy Spirit, Lord God, move among us. 
Lead us, guide us, Lord. Speak to our heart the truth, Lord God. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that if there's somebody needs the sound of my voice, it's never known of a time that they've received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Father, I just pray, Lord, this morning that you come in, speak to the heart the truth, Lord God, like you did so many years ago, Father. And I thank you, Father, that you love us enough to search us out, to look for us, Lord, and Father, to offer us your gift, your free gift of salvation and eternal life and a place in heaven. Father, I just thank you for that, Lord, and I thank you for your healing hand, Lord, and I pray for your healing on Sister Colleen, Lord God. Father, please, please come in, Lord God, and lay your healing hand on her. Thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray, amen. 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 So we're going, to look at, we're going to look at four different people here. We're going to look at the good, the bad, the ugly, and the fools. And what you're going to notice about these, fool, these, these, these people that get saved is there comes a time when they do get saved, they do receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Do you realize this morning I can offer you something, but you don't have to receive it? See, salvation is a free gift, and the Bible says it's nothing. You're not going to work for this salvation. You're not going to say, okay, I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to stop doing that. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not by works. It's by God's grace. What he expects for you to do is to humble yourself down, knowing you're a sinner, and receive, knowing Jesus Christ died for your sins, and to receive that free gift. But you've got to receive it. Something can be offered and not received. I was reading a story in 18, uh, back in 1827. There was a guy named George Wilson. He committed a crime. He was going to get hung from the gallows for that crime. Well, President Andrew Jackson wrote a pardon for him and pardoned him. And when it came to George Wilson as he sat in prison about to be hung, he said, I don't want that pardon. Now, I don't know the story of why he didn't want to be pardoned, but he refused that pardon. Well, it became a big deal, and they said, you can't refuse a pardon. You've got to go free. And, and the, so they took it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, and this is what the Supreme Court said, a pardon is a paper, the value of which depends upon its acceptance by the person implicated. It is hardly to be supposed that one under sentence of death would refuse to accept a pardon. The judge says it's hard to imagine that somebody who knows they're condemned, that knows they're going to be uh, put to death, it's hard to imagine that somebody who's given an opportunity to get out of that death sentence, to get out of that condemnation, to get out of being hung, would refuse that opportunity. He says it's hard to imagine. But if it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. And they hung him. There's a great truth in that when it comes to God and the Bible and Jesus Christ. There's some of you in here that might never have known Jesus Christ, don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and here's your opportunity. You're getting it. Here's your way. Here's your pardon. Jesus Christ says, if you believe on me, you're not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already. See, you're walking around condemned. You might not realize this morning you are condemned. Already condemned. And Jesus Christ shows up and says, hey, you're going to be hung. The Bible says you're going to go to hell. You need a Savior. I'm your Savior. Here's my gift of my blood, my cross, my sacrifice for you. Will you receive me? And he sits there with open arms with all the love. Now the ball's in your court. Verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them 
out of their distresses. Now the first person there, starting in verse 4, they're wandering in a solitary way. They're lonely. They found no city to dwell in. Look at verse 5. They're hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainting in them. These are the good people. This is somebody who's good, but is living life, and there's something missing. You can't put your finger on it. You can't quite describe it. Because you're a good person. You try to live a good life. You try to be moral. But there's just, there's just not peace. There's a, there's a hole in your heart that's not filled. And you can't quite describe it to somebody. Maybe you can. Maybe you told somebody, I, I'm missing something. And these people here in verse 5, they're hungry and they're thirsty. Their soul fainteth in them. Their soul's never satisfied. They're never satisfied. They can't get enough material things. They can get the best car you can have, and a year later, they've got to have another new car. They can get a great house, and two or three years, they've got to have another good house. They're never satisfied with material things. They're ne never satisfied with financial gains. They're never satisfied with any kind of drug you give them. They're never satisfied with any kind of alcohol. They're never satisfied with they're never satisfied with happiness. They're never entertained enough. They're never given enough goods. They're, it's, they're just never satisfied. Amen. The Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger, they had the, their most famous song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. They live the life. There's a, there's a man that has all the women he wants, all the drugs he wants, all the life, all the money he wants, and he sings, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. That's these people right here. They're good people. They're not bad people. This is not a bad person. But verse 6, they know there's something missing. In verse 6, this is what they do. Then they cried unto... The first thing you need to do is cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. First step of salvation is you've got to cry unto the Lord. Second step of salvation is, which is really part of the first step, is you need to admit and know that you're a sinner. Look, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. You need to understand this morning when you walked in this church, and I'm not trying to give you bad news. I'm not trying to be a curse to you. I'm trying to be a blessing to you. But I'm trying to warn you, and I'm trying to sit up here as a pastor, as a minister of the Word of God is, that you're in trouble. Without Jesus Christ, your house is on fire. And you might be on the second story of that house and, and, and looking up at the second story of the house, and you don't realize that the first story is on fire. And then it's burning down. And I'm on the ground. I'm saying, hey, there's a fire down there. And you might look out that second story window and not see the fire. And say, oh, that crazy guy. Look at that crazy preacher. He's just crazy. He's just an old fuddy-dud. He's just trying to tell me I don't believe in any of that nonsense. But that's not going to stop me from going, there's a fire right down there. I've got a, a pastor friend that lives way out in the country. And they have these steps that walk, you walk down these uh, concrete steps. And he, he had a, a, a lady there that was visiting him. And my, that pastor, he's always kidding around, always making jokes and everything. And this lady named Freda, she showed up and she's visiting. She walked down and her, his son had already come in and said, said Dad, there's, there's a big rattlesnake right there on the steps. Well, she didn't hear him. And she's walking out, and, and, and he ran, the pastor ran out there and said, Hey, don't, don't, don't go down, Fred, there's a snake down there. And she said, I don't believe you. And she just, just walked right down in there. And he grabbed his flashlight and shined it, and there's a big old rattlesnake coiled up down there. 
And she, <gasps> almost, she almost had a heart attack. You might not believe me today. There's going to come a time you will believe me. And I hope it's not too late. And I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. And I'm trying to show you that you are in trouble. But if you'll notice and recognize and acknowledge I'm a sinner, I'm in trouble, I need salvation. I don't matter how good I am, I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You can't. The one of the main truths of this Bible, the one of the reasons why some people don't like this Bible is this Bible tells you that everyone's a sinner. Amen. Including your grandmother and that lovely grandfather you had that was so everybody's a sinner. Amen. There's none righteous, no, not one. You know why you can't fool me? Because I minister. What I mean by that is I have people that have troubles in their life. And I've had some people, really, really good people, in my mind, come to me, morally outstanding. I mean, I would trust them with a million dollars, come to me, and they'll say, I need to tell you something. I'm like, okay, yeah, what, what you got going on? And then they tell me something that'll make your, curl, your toes curl up, and my mouth will drop. And they'll confess a sin to me, and I'm like, it, it, that happened years ago, and I don't do that anymore. Because you know what I found out? We're all sinners. <laughs> Some of us are just better at hiding it than others. Some of us don't get caught. The reason why I'm not in prison today after I lived my life I lived is because I never got caught for the things I was doing when I was younger. And some people did. Listen, you're not going to fool me. And you're not going to fool God. He knows about your sin. And you can have that stuff hid up in the closet and think, well, nobody ever find out about it. God knows about it. Amen. And there's a payday someday. There's a day you're going to have to, have to answer for those sins. Dr. Morgan was preaching a sermon, a lot like what I'm preaching. And he was preaching a sermon. He gave the invitation. And one of the known hardened criminals of the town came down the aisle to get saved. And everybody in there was like, well, I'm glad he's getting saved. And he came down. And the, the pastor leaned down with him and was praying with him. And he got saved. And about that time, they kept giving the invitation. And here comes the mayor who was a judge come down the aisle. And he got saved. Amen. And that judge had put that guy, that criminal, in prison years ago. And that mayor was an outstanding citizen of the city. But when he came down there and they got up from being saved and they both had tears of joy in their eyes and they hugged each other. And the truth is, is they realized it didn't matter. In this life, if you're a mayor or if you're in prison, we all need Jesus Christ. Amen. What does he do for you? Verse 7, he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. See, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. God will lead you by the right way. The Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto man. Listen to me. You might not be listening to anything, but listen to this. The Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the ends are of her death. And you might be in here this morning, you might be listening to me, say, oh, this, that, that dumb hick, and I am a dumb hick. He's so stupid, and I am stupid. And I'm not preaching you my words. I'm trying to preach you the words of God. These words, I believe, are words of God. It's like I, I wrote that email back. And you might not believe a word I'm saying, but look at the way. Look at the way and look at the ends thereof. Look at the way men live and look at the ends thereof. We got a sister in this church right now that's visiting down from Houston. And uh, she I hope you don't mind me telling this sister, she's getting closer to 90 than she is closer to 9. She's getting closer to the age of 90 than she is getting closer to the age of 9. So you figure out her age. But the point is, she looks like she's 50. 
And she walks around like she's 50. And you know, what she, you know what her testimony is? I read my Bible every day as much as I can, and she goes to church and lives a godly life. Now look at the ends of a way. There's a way that seemeth right in a man, but the ends are of her death. Look at the way people live and how it ends. Don't look at the life they're living when they're living it up and all oh, everything's. You see those beer commercials, they're all partying and everything's great. And they're, they're drinking beer and you got these beautiful women and they, they got the bathing suits on and they're hitting the volleyball and you got these big old buff men. And they don't ever show you the men with the big pot bellies, you know, walking around with the beer gut. You know. And they don't show them after they've been drinking. You know what? They come over. They don't show that stuff, they don't show the end of it. Well, how do you know about that, Brother Keegan? Because I used to be a drinker. I've lived that lifestyle. I've grew up around all that stuff. I've grew up around a bunch of alcoholics. You don't want me making the commercial. I wish they'd let me direct a beer commercial. It'd be a lot, it'd be a lot different beer commercial. Probably get some people off alcohol, I'll tell you that much. I'll show the truth. The world doesn't want you to see the truth. You got that? I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to convince you of anything to believe me. I don't want you to believe me. I want you to go search for the truth. Open your eyes. Don't, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid, man. If they say it on Facebook, check it out. If they say it on Twitter, go check it out. If they tell you something on the internet or on Google or Siri tells you something, go check it out. If this preacher, this bald-headed preacher tells you something, don't believe me. I'm not telling you to believe me. I'm telling you, this is what I believe and this is what I see. Go check it out. Amen. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works for, to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. He satisfies that craving. He satisfies that longing. He satisfies that something in you you can't quite describe that's causing you to run out and do this or run out and do that and you can't get enough of this, you can't get enough of that. There's, a, there's not a contentment with you. The Bible says, Jesus Christ says, I'm going to give you peace that the world can't give you. There's a peace you don't have. There's a joy you can't have without Jesus Christ. That when you have Jesus Christ, it gives you this joy and this peace that you cannot describe to somebody unless they have it too. And that's why there's some people in here saying amen because they know that joy and that peace that I'm talking about. He's going to satisfy you. It's going to be satisfying to your soul. It's going to be fill you, fill, it says, filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he said this to the woman at the well. It says, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. He's he was holding, up, he was holding some water up to her at the well. See this physical water? He goes, whoever drinks this water, you're going to thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of, well of water springing up into everlasting life. It's just spiritual things. See, I'm, I'm preaching about spiritual things. I'm not talking about physical water this morning. I'm talking about spiritual water. I'm not talking about physical salvation. You're, we're all going to die. I'm talking about spiritual salvation. I'm talking about your soul, something that's going to live in eternity in one or two places. Heaven with Jesus Christ or without Jesus Christ condemned to a devil's hell. So back in verse 10, let's look at the bad. That's me. This one's me. I don't know which one you're going to pick, but I'm going to pick this second one. The bad. This is me. Such as sit, this is the second person, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. He's describing somebody who's bound in the cords of their own sin. 
This one describes me. I grew up without a dad. I grew up with uh, my mom, could barely control me. I was like a wild dog, just ran the streets, did what I wanted to do, broke into houses, whatever I wanted to do, stealing. Just do, you can imagine it, I probably did it. I'm not going to confess to you, but I was wicked. I was really, really wicked. And I was living a sinful life. And what happens with sin is, sin is a cord, the Bible describes it. And what that does is, you, you do the sin, and then before long, you do some more sin, and then it's wrapped around you, and before long, you're bound up in sin. And, and you go, okay, I'm done with this sin. I don't want to do this sin anymore. I don't want to drink anymore. I don't want to thieve anymore. I don't want, and you realize, I can't get out. I, I can't stop. And you're bound up. And that's what's being described here in verse 10. Such a sit in darkness, you don't have the light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, you're not going to break these chains, verse 11, because they rebelled against the words of God. And contemn the counsel of the Most High. You mocked God. You make fun of God. To, to you, the Bible's something to mock at. Hey, I understand, because I was there. I was one of them. I remember a young man rode by on a 10-speed bicycle in front of my house and stopped with me and another friend and started trying to tell me about Jesus Christ, just like I'm trying to talk to y'all this morning about Jesus Christ. And I made fun of him, and I mocked him, and I ran him off. And that poor guy, when he left, he was just down like this, riding off on his bicycle. And me and my friend were hitting each other, laughing about it. I was wicked, man. And I mocked God. I rebelled against God. I had got, my mom made me go to Sunday school and I laughed about it. My mom made me go to church and I mocked it. I made fun of it. That's me right there, verse 11. But verse 12 came along. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Now we're getting to it. Rebels, God-haters, Bible deniers, Jesus Christ mockers. All these people, that get, they get bound in the cords of their own sin. And it says there in verse 12, it says, Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down. They get to the bottom of the barrel. Are you in this here this morning and you're at the bottom of your barrel? You get down and you're like, you've done all this stuff in your life and you're like... I'm at, the, I'm at the bottom of a pit. I'm at the bottom of a barrel. I can't dig down any deeper. I can't make my life any worse. You're at the bottom of a barrel. And what happens is, if you're like me when I was young, the end of verse 12, and there was none to help. We're talking about the bad, amen? Talking about the bad. When you live a lifestyle like I was living, you know what you find out? Nobody likes you. <laughs> Nobody likes being around a thief because they're afraid you're going to steal their stuff. Nobody likes being around a liar because they know you're going to lie to them. Nobody likes you when you're, you're doing these drugs and you're doing the alcohol. Nobody likes to be around these people. And when I found out, when I got down at the bottom of a barrel, there was nobody around to help me. Not only does people, people don't want to be around you, people don't like you, they don't want to help you. People don't have the love of God like God has. You, you think, well, you know, I'll go to my friend and he'll help me out. That friend don't care about you. You'll be like the prodigal son when he finally got through spending all his money and all his friends. He's slopping pigs and he turns around and where are all his friends? He don't have any money. He don't have any friends. He has plenty of money. He has plenty of friends. The truth is, is that you get at the bottom of the barrel and there's nobody. No one cares for you. No one's there to help you. And then along comes a man named Jesus Christ. 
and you're like me and you're living in sin and you can't get out and you're bound up and you're just miserable and you don't have any peace, you don't have any joy and you look at these people and they're living a life, you're like, I can never, I, I, I can't keep a job and nobody likes me and I don't blame them for not liking me and nobody's going to forgive me and you just, you're miserable and then along comes a man named Jesus Christ and you found out two things about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, number one, cares for you. Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. Let me say it again. Jesus Christ didn't come to die for the righteous. Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. Now, I was a sinner, and I was very, very deep in sin. And when he came along, I found out the first thing, that he cared for me. And the second thing was, he was there to help me. The wonderful stories about Jesus Christ is not the healing power of Jesus Christ, and he had healing power. And he did some amazing miracles to prove that he was the Son of God. But the things about Jesus Christ that really touched me in the Gospels is when Jesus Christ finds a sinner and, and heals them of their sin and says, You're forgiven and go forth and sin no more. And he heals them up and he lifts them up. He lifts up adulterers. He lifts up uh, people, murderers. He lifts all these sinners up. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, you won't believe this, but it is. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is that Jesus Christ was a friend to sinners. And as a sinner sitting back there at the back of a church, about like this church, and I heard Jesus Christ being preached, and I was miserable, and, I was, and, I, and then the Holy Spirit came in, and I could, I could feel something. It was a funny feeling. I said, that's true. That's true. I, I, I knew it to be true. I couldn't prove anything out of the Bible, but just there was a witness in me. And I had to make a decision. And in my heart, I said, I know I'm a sinner. I, 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 I don't want to go to hell. I know I'm condemned. I deserve hell. I'm going to take Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I remember getting up and walking down that aisle, and I came down the aisle, and the pastor said, uh, what can I do for you, Keegan? And I said, I want to get saved. And I bowed down my head, and I prayed and asked Jesus Christ to save me, and oh, man, the weight that was lifted off of me. That's what's going on there in verse 13. Then, I, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. That's me. And he saved them out of their distresses. I cried unto the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's why that's up there. I want you reading it. I want you reading it while the words are being preached because it's true. It's true for me. And I know it's true for a lot of testimony in here that Jesus Christ, if you'll call on you, call on Him, the best way you know how, He will save you. And that's what I did. I just called on Him. I cried out to Him. And verse 14 is what he did for me. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands and sunder. All those cords of sin I was in, all the things I had, it broke it off of me. And my friends could see a new me. I have a, a, I have a, a black friend of mine named Coley Rushing. I grew up with him in school. He didn't know I was a preacher. And, he, and one of my friends said, you heard about old Keegan? They're like, no, what happened to Keegan? He's in jail right now? Where's Keegan at? No, no, man. He's a preacher. No! With a mouth like that? Every other word, guys, listen to me. You won't believe this. My wife will because she's heard some things come out of my mouth. Every other word was the F word when I was growing up. That's no exaggeration. I used it. I, I said that word without realizing I was even saying it. That's how much I cussed. I was a dog. I acted like a dog. I lived like a dog. And my friends were embarrassed to even take me around in their family because I talked like a dog. God took that mouth Wash it out with soap and said, now I'm going to use you Amen. to preach the truth. You know why God can use me so much? 
Because I've been at the very bottom. I can't give the credit to psychology. I can't give the credit to science. I can't give the credit to anybody else. I can't give the credit to a pastor or to the Baptist church or to anybody else. The only person that gets the credit is Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ lifted me up, guess what I'm going to do? I'm not going to sit here and preach about science or about philosophy. I'm going to tell you the truth about Jesus Christ. Because he is the truth. He is the real. He's the truth, the way, and the life. Oh, that men, verse 15, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. That's what we should be doing, praising the Lord. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. I'm going to tell you one more great truth about this. It doesn't matter, because he says there in verse 16, he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Brass and iron, it doesn't matter how strong you think those cords of sin are. If you think in your heart, I can never break this sin. I can never stop this drugs. I can never, whatever sin it is, envy, jealousy, hatred, whatever's in your heart. I had lots of hatred in my heart. Whatever sin it is, God can break it. That's what that brass and iron is talking about there. If you, my, I grew up without a dad. My dad was murdered when I was eight years old. When my dad was murdered when I was eight years old, I turned on God. I hate God. There is no, there's no God. I hate God. If there is a God, I hate him. I mean, I'd say that kind of stuff. And I meant it. And the hatred that was in my heart had brought me down to the very bottom of a barrel. And when I realized I was a sinner and I took the truth of Jesus Christ and I, I knelt down and said, Jesus Christ, will you save me? I know I'm a sinner. Will you save me from hell? And when he saved me, he broke that bar of hatred in my heart and I got up. And before, where I hated Spanish people, I hated Mexicans, I hated blacks, I was pra practically a white nationalist. He brought me up, you know what he did with me? He gave me one of my best friends, was half black and half Korean. <laughs> half black and half Korean. I got both of them and one guy. And my other best friend is, he's Spanish, Jose Estrada. And they love me and I love them. And we look like an Oreo or something. It's like, this is the craziest thing. But I, but I grew up with the hatred in my heart. Speak English or die. I had that written all over my room in my, in my house. Speak English or die. I grew up around in a Spanish community, and we'd get down there, and me and those Spanish guys, we'd be fighting each other, just pulling off knives. knives. I'd have a baseball bat, hit them over the head with a baseball bat. They'd knock out my window and say, guys, the life I live, you're not going to scare me by giving me dirty looks. I've had the, some of the best people in Brown would beat the living crud out of me. And I deserved it. So that hatred was for, for God, for taking my dad at eight years old, for my dad being murdered, that hatred in my heart, for my mom not giving me any kind of a, a guidance, that hatred in my heart for, for just mankind and for life in general. Jesus Christ took that ha hatred and it was a big ball like that and he just went, dash! He bashed it and it just into a million pieces and he filled it with, heart, with love. He can do that for you. If you're here this morning and you're bad, let's look at the next one. This one might be you. Fools, verse 17, fools. Fools. Verse 17, fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the fools. Maybe you're foolish in here this morning. No, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
I remember Dwight Old Moody said, and he was an old-time preacher, they, he would be preaching a revival, and somebody would come up and give him a note. And this one guy gave him this note. You know, a lot, a lot of times it's like so-and-so has a birthday or something. And he, he, he got that note, and he opened up that note, and it said, fool. Calling him a fool. So Dwight Moody, right before he preached, he got that. And he got that message, it said, fool. And Dwight o. Moody, being a man of God, said, uh, I just got this message. And this is the first time I've ever gotten a message like this. He said, for years and years, people give me messages and they forget to sign it. This one's a message that they forgot to give me the message, but they signed it. <laughs> and he went on to preach Psalms 14, which Psalm 14 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Maybe you're foolish. Maybe you're just taking for granted what the TV's telling you. What maybe musicians are telling you, or what philosophers, or they're telling you, oh, there is no God. Don't believe this Bible. It's foolish. That's foolish. That's a foolish type of thing. And guys, I'm right there with you. I was right there. I was that kind of guy. I, I know what you're going through. And I'm here to tell you, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Look into it for yourself. Look into it for yourself. Fools, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates, unto the gates of death. These are those souls, these are those souls, brothers and sisters, these are those souls that are foolish enough to wait to the last hour to get saved. These are those souls right here, verses 17 through 22. These are those souls that are foolish enough to wait to the last, we'd say they wait to the 11th hour to get saved. They wait to their deathbed. And you can do it. It's a foolish thing to do, but you can do it. You can wait to the very last day of your life and get saved and receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. There's testimony in the Bible of that happening. God's hanging on the cross. He asked Jesus Christ, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus Christ said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Saved right there. On his deathbed as he's hanging to die, being condemned for being a murderer up there on the cross. Now, you can wait that long, but that's foolish. I'm going to wait, I'm going to live my life, live it up, live the dream, and then when I get old, like that old bald-headed preacher, then I'll start settling down, and I'll start, you know, because I want to sow my oats. Let me give you some real good advice. All that stuff comes back to haunt you. All those oats you sow, you're going to reap it. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know what the law of harvest is? Let me tell you what the law of harvest is. It's natural. It's nothing I'm not telling you. This is something you'll know once I tell you this. The law of harvest is this. You put in one seed of corn, you don't get back one seed of corn when you reap it. You put in one little seed of corn, and you know what happens when that comes up to reap? Years later, months later, months later. What happens to that? In life, years later, it comes up a full stock with lots and lots of corn all over it, right? That's what happens. And some of those old gray-headed people will tell you, that's what happens. You start paying for it. There's a payday someday. You can't get away with it. Don't be so foolish. You say, well, I'm young. I'm only 18. I'm only 19. I'm going to live my life. This church right here, this very church, we had an 18-year-old boy die of brain cancer. This very church, I had to bury him. But he knew Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Amen. And his testimony was he was waiting to go to heaven. He said, I'm not scared to die, Keegan. I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm just worried about my friends. The piano player was his best friend. He said, I'm just worried about my friend. I don't know when you're going to die. My, dad, my mom died at 44. My, di my dad died at 35. 
I buried an 18-year-old. I had a best friend. Listen, here's another story. This is me personally. I'm just telling you stuff personally. I had a friend. He called me on the phone. His name was Larry Sullivan. I said, hey, Larry, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing nothing. I heard him go, ah! His brother gets on the phone. Larry's been shot. Get off the phone. Larry's been shot. Get off the phone. Uh, you're playing around. No, Larry's been shot. Get off the phone. So I took my phone. This is back when phones had a cord. I took my phone. I turned on Iron Maiden. And I put the phone right there by Iron Maiden on my boom box. As my friend went off into eternity. My best friend was talking to me. His brother had been smoking some pot. They had a sawed-off shotgun there. They lived in a trailer house. At the, the, they come to about right there, you know, the... the and he had that sawed-off shotgun, and he was, he was laying about right there, and he moved that sawed-off shotgun that was loaded. It went off, blew its guts out while I was talking to him. He went, ah, fell down, died right there. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring for you. But I'm telling you, from my experience in life, you're foolish to put it on. There's a saying that says, those that wait for the 11th hour usually find out that they die at 10.30. Uh, we don't know what the Lord's going to give us. Some of us are very good Christians. We don't know if the Lord's going to give us 40, 50, 60, 90 years. The Lord don't guarantee you anything. And life is sure as death is sure. Don't be so foolish as to put it off as this one draw near unto the gates of death. They draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord. Here's how they got saved. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. They cry unto the Lord. They cry for Jesus Christ to save them. They're in trouble. They realize they're in trouble. They realize they're a sinner. And he saveth them out of their distresses. You see a pattern going on here? Here's the pattern. It doesn't matter if you're good, if you're bad, if you're foolish. You've got to cry out to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've got to know you're a sinner. And then he'll come and save you. It doesn't matter which type of these you are. He'll save you. And he'll save you out of all your trouble. And he'll save you out of all your distresses. Because verse 20 says, He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their distractions. When you're laying on your deathbed, the only thing you can receive is the word of God. And if you're in here this morning, you are receiving God's words. I'm not telling you what I believe. I'm showing you what the Word of God is telling you and preaching. I'm telling you, read it for yourself. You've got to cry unto the Lord. You've got to admit you're in trouble. And He's going to save you out of your distresses. And when He does, He's going to heal them and deliver them from their destructions. He's going to heal your sin-sick soul. Amen. Deliver you to a place called heaven. One of the greatest pieces and joys I have as a Christian is knowing I'm going to go to heaven. We've had two different people in the last three months of this church die. Just die. And I didn't see it coming. I knew, they were, I knew they weren't doing real well, but man, it was like that. But the Lord didn't let them suffer. Praise God. He didn't let them suffer, but I know where they're going. And they knew where they were going. So when we had the funeral, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of sadness. There was joy. They've gone on. They're in a better place. Amen. That's called salvation in Jesus Christ. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works. To the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Let's look at the last one. Let's look at the last one. Verse 23. The ugly. The ugly. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the fools. They that go down into the sea 
go down to the sea in ships. They, they do business in great waters. These see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down to, again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. The Bible's describing somebody who's on a ship, the ship of life, and as they're going through the ship of life, storms come. And they do come in everybody's life. You might not be in a storm right now. You might be young. You might, uh, it's coming. Everybody has storms. And as they're going down, they start seeing the waves, and they get up way up above them, 100-foot story waves. And they're like, whoa. And it comes down, and then their soul starts. They just start getting worried, and they start getting scared, and they see the storm and the wind and the waves, and their soul is melted because of the trouble. Verse 27, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Are you in here this morning and you're at your wit's end? You've tried everything the world has to offer and you realize uh, it's not working. I'm at my wit's end. I, I, I'm scared. I'm in a storm. My life is getting ugly. The good, the bad, the ugly. Life is ugly. And it is ugly. When you're living in this world, it's an ugly world we live in. And people do ugly things to you. And storms come into your life. Storms of financial problems. Storms of marital problems. Storms of health problems. Storms of emotional problems. Some of the worst storms I've been in my life have been emotional problems. Storms that come into your life and there's no answer. The world don't have an answer for these storms. And you're at your wit's end. Here's the answer, my dear friend. Verse 28. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. Amen. The simple answer is to get saved. Because when you're saved, Sister Colleen's going through a storm right now. When you're saved, the Lord's going to help you through that storm. He'll help you go through it. We're all going to go through storms. Now, you're going to go through it alone on that ship all by yourself. Are you going to let Jesus Christ come into your life? What will happen? Look at verse 29. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Amen. He's going to come in, he's going to calm those storms. See, a lot of the things you see in the Bible, uh, if it's healing, if it's healing, that's a spiritual See that healing that Jesus Christ was doing in the Gospels that everybody knows about? Jesus Christ was a healer. That's all pointing to something that you want to happen in your life, which is a spiritual healing on the sin-sick soul. When that storm came up in the sea and Jesus Christ was down in the ship and they came and Jesus Christ said, Lord, wake up. Don't you know we're about to drown? Aren't you scared? And the Lord said, oh, you little faith. And the Lord got up and he got on front of the bow and he said, be still, calm. And the sea just stopped. And they looked at each other and said, this guy's a man, it's, it's a son of God. It's God. And only God could do something like that. What Jesus Christ is showing you, yeah, physically he can do that, but spiritually he can do that in your life. We're talking about spiritual things this morning. We're not talking about things you can see. We're talking about that thing that's going on in your heart this morning as I've been preaching that something's quite not right. And you can't put your finger on it. And you might be a good person. You might be a really good person. And I, I'm happy for you. And I'm thankful for you. But the best person in this room still needs Jesus Christ. <laughs> My wife, last, I have some of the craziest, kookiest dreams you could ever dream of. I mean, 
I couldn't smoke marijuana and be on LSD and have better dreams. Crazy. I, I wish I could film these so I could scare some of y'all. One of, the, one of the dreams I had, I was at this church. I dreamed this while we were sleeping in Sulphur Springs, Texas, in the hotel room. I, I was at this church, and up shows President George W. Bush. <laughs> and he comes up, and I'm like, George W. Bush. And I, in, my, in my dream, I'm like, I get my, my Bible, and I open it up. I said, will you sign my Bible? And my wife is saying, you would get him to sign your Bible? I said, this is my dream. I don't know why I'm doing this. It's a dream. It don't make no sense. And George W. Bush in my dream, he comes up to me and he goes, and he just hugs me and starts crying. And I remember I was so consoled and I was like, it's George W. Bush. He's a president of the United States and he's hugging me. And you know what came into my heart in my dream? I got to preach that he needs Jesus Christ. I got to go into that church and he's visiting this church and I got to tell him that he needs Jesus Christ. It's not an easy thing to stand in front of people you don't know and tell them, hey, I got some bad news for you. You need Jesus Christ because you're going to hell. But I can do it because I have some really, really good news. That Jesus Christ will get you out of condemnation. That Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And I'm here to tell you that he'll do everything he says he'll do. He'll save you. He'll give you joy and peace like you've never known. But I can talk about it and talk about it and talk to you. I'm blue in the face. But it's like this water. Unless you take a long, tall drink of this, you're not going to get it. You're not going to have your thirst quenched until you take Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want you to take Jesus Christ. I beg and plead with you to take Jesus Christ. He'll calm the storms in your life. He'll do things for you that you never even dreamed could have happened in your life. I'm going to close by, by saying this. There was a young boy. He's in rags. He's an orphan. And there was a man, and I think his name was Dr. Ball. I, I'm not sure it was. And he owned an orphanage. And this is back in the late 1800s. And he owned an orphanage. And he'd take all these orphan kids in and he'd raise them up and give them homes. And he said he was walking down the road and here comes this kid. And he's seen this kid and this kid run up to him. And the kid runs up to him and he said, will you, will you take me in? And the, he's took back and he's like, where's your parents at? I don't even know who you are. And that kid looks down at himself and this kid's in rags filthy, nasty rags, and he looks up at the doctor and he says, I thought these would be enough. And Dr. Ball, with tears in his eyes, reached down and grabbed that poor, wretched orphan and took him up in his arms and said, that's enough. And he took him into his home and raised him. If you're in here this morning, you've got to come to Jesus Christ say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I don't have nothing I can give you. Will you take me? Just like I am. And Jesus Christ said, I'll take you. Just like you are. I don't care if you're good, bad, ugly, or a fool. I'll take you and save you just like you are. Everybody in here has got a testimony. And some of us could put our name in the fool. Some of us could say I was ugly. Some of us say I was good. I'm a good person. But I realized through the word of God that I am condemned, that I am a sinner, and that I need a savior. I don't know which one of these four you are this morning, but whatever you do, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't leave those doors without coming down this aisle 
and asking Jesus Christ to save you. You say, why are you trying to embarrass me? I'm not trying to embarrass you. You know what Jesus Christ said? He said, you confess me before men. He said, I'll confess you before the Father. He said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. That's some pretty strong words. The Lord don't want you sneaking into heaven. And you say, well, I, I don't want to be embarrassed, Brother Keegan. Yeah, I know, I know. If I laid a million dollars down on this table and said, if you'll come up here, you can have that million dollars, you'd beat everybody down here, embarrassed or not. It'd break the embarrassment, wouldn't it? I'm laying something over here that's worth more than a billion dollars. It's your soul. Once you take your last breath, if you're a, a billionaire, you're going to answer to God. Bill Gates, George W. Bush, Donald Trump, President Obama, whoever it is, they're going to answer to God, just like me and you. Now, are you ready to answer to God? I'm ready. And it's not anything to do with what Brother Kings did. It's all because I put my trust in Jesus Christ and in His righteousness. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it's an amazing verse of course talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. Same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, 
And then with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.